Hey friend, welcome to Java with Julie, hosted by me, Julie Slattery. This podcast is a listener-supported outreach of Authentic Intimacy, which is a ministry dedicated to helping people make sense of God and sexual issues. Now, this episode is really special. It's our 500th episode. So listen in closely to today's conversation, because later in the episode, we're going to have a special offer coming up to help you celebrate this 500th episode anniversary with us. Over the last 11 years, I've had the chance to talk with a variety of experts, pastors, authors, psychologists, and just ordinary people who are walking through their own journeys to understand God's design for sexuality and marriage. And over time, that 11 years, a lot has shifted. First of all, this podcast is not just for women. That's how we started out. Even though we know a lot of you guys were listening in, now the podcast is for everyone. The topics have changed. Even what's happening in our culture, we have shifted to address some of the things that weren't even an issue 11 years ago. I've heard a lot and I'm still learning. In fact, I would say that these job interviews are one of my favorite parts of my job because it's where I get to keep learning and growing in my own understanding of complex topics around sexuality, marriage, singleness, and healing. And I also get to meet some pretty cool people with powerful personal stories and great advice. And some of them have become friends over the years. Well, one of those friends is my guest today, Scott Kadersha. He's been a pastor for more than 18 years. And over that time, he's been working closely with married couples and pre-marriage couples to help them build the foundations necessary to have a strong, healthy marriage. Now, just like me, Scott has been learning a lot through his years of ministry experience and as a husband. Scott is the author of two books, Ready or Not, 12 Conversations Every Couple Needs to Have Before Marriage, and his most recent book, The Ready or Not Prayer Guide. And Scott has a lot to share about what questions and topics couples should talk about to discern if they should go ahead and get married, call it off, if they're red flags. Married, engaged, single, or dating, this is really an insightful conversation. So grab your coffee and let's head to the coffee shop for my 500th Java with Julie episode, A Conversation with Scott Kadersha. Well, Scott, I am so grateful to have you back here on Java with Julie. It's been a while. Yes. It has, I <laughs> yeah. know. I think it was maybe like four or five years ago. I was when like I first 1920s recorded. or 30s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Not yeah. that long ago. And that's how I first met you was interviewing you for Job with Julie. And then our ministry paths have crossed several times. So I've gotten to know you a lot more and just glad to have you back on yes. to talk about pre-marriage stuff. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. And you have been in kind of like young adult ministry, college ministry for how many years now? Yeah, since 2006, full time. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're on 17, 18 years. Uh -huh. And nobody ever grows up wanting to be a marriage pastor. That's never on anyone's bucket list yes. of here's what I want to do. But God changed my life when I was 24 years old. Heard the gospel. He changed everything around in my life. And all I wanted to do for the rest of my life was tell people about Jesus. So I went to seminary, graduated from seminary, wanted to be a community pastor, associate pastor, and the job that was available was marriage pastor. <laughs> and so I didn't really know what that was and started doing marriage ministry and loved it. Mm -hmm. Loved it. So I started work, worked at a church in Dallas for 14 years, Watermark Community Church, and got mm -hmm. to work with our friend, mutual friend, John McGee, mm -hmm. 
and learned so much and moved to a new church three, four years ago, and I still get to do marriage ministry. In fact, I recently asked for a demotion off of our leadership team so I could continue to focus more of my time on marriage ministry. And it's it's the apart from following Jesus and being married to my wife, Kristen, and raising four boys, four young men, it's the joy of my life, mm-hmm. uh, getting to work on marriages. And it's not always easy, but I love what I get to do. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's fantastic. And I actually know a couple people who, when you say nobody wants to be a marriage pastor, who would say, I want to be a marriage pastor. Like they have a vision for that, but it's interesting that God called you into it when that wasn't necessarily what you were looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have written two books now, uh, really more around preparing for marriage. One is kind of a learning kind of book, and the other one is a prayer guide around some of those same concepts. And I, I would just ask you, like, even in the years that you've been doing this ministry, how has the process of thinking about marriage, getting engaged, preparing for marriage changed? Because it feels like everything has changed. Everything has, <laughs> yeah. yes. Well, I mean, the reason the reason I wrote these books originally, one is called Ready or Not. It's 12 conversations for every couple to have before marriage. I butchered that a little bit. 12 conversations every... Twelve conversations every couple's every couple <laughs> needs to have before marriage, and I wrote it because I think the church has just not done a great job of rightly preparing couples for marriage. In fact, mm-hmm. a lot of the material out there that churches use that are published by Christian publishers are filled with great tips and tricks on how to have a great marriage. Ten things you need to do, five conversations you need to have, but there's no scripture. Mm-hmm. to back up what they're teaching. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we look around and I go, the divorce rate is high, whatever it is, whatever the studies show inside the church, outside the church. And candidly, I'm not surprised it's so high, even for Christians, because we're not preparing couples well for marriage. And culture is certainly not preparing them well. Mm-hmm. You know, the narrative they're getting is, you know, you get married to make you happy. And whenever things stop making you happy, it's it's time to move on to the next one. Uh, or I think what, what we often see is we're not going to get divorced, but we're just going to tolerate each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we might be uh, morally or biblically opposed to divorce, but we're just going to kind of suffer together and tolerate each other until one of one of us dies or both of us die. Mm. And I just think there's so much better for couples. And, uh, and that's largely why I wanted to write this book originally was to give couples a biblical, authentic, practical picture of what marriage looks like. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, one, one thing that I've seen continually is what, what's changed. One thing that really hasn't is I think we continue to tell people marriage is hard and you're all going to die and you can't tolerate it. And it's like, you're, you're too selfish for it. And, you know, marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. We tell people that all the time. And I think we forget to tell them how beautiful it is as well. Mm. And, uh, and so that's part of why I wrote both books is really to help couples see what a beautiful thing marriage is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so needed. Um, and one of the things that I think can happen also with people our age as we get older is I look at these young people, these young couples, and they're so young, you know, like back then they weren't as young. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but you, you almost also feel like they're not, mature enough. Mm. They're not ready. 
until we forget, like until we remember what we were like at that age. But um, when do you think that you're ready to even consider marriage? Yeah, not just age, but like, are there landmarks that we should be looking for? A great question. Uh, And I think part of the problem we're seeing now is that more and more men and women don't think they're ever ready for marriage, and so that's why they keep pushing marriage off. And Mm -hmm. so the marriage age, you know, is is now what twenty nine. 30 for guys, the average age, or late 20s for women as well. And so it's people are increasingly moving away from marriage or cohabitating. They're choosing to never get married because they think they're never ready for it. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'd answer your question, how do you know when you're ready? Part of it is we're never ready. You mm-hmm. can never fully rightly prepare for marriage because marriage really is one sinner married to another sinner in a broken world. And so if you're waiting for the point for your sin to go away, for you to stop struggling, for you to have your finances in a good enough place, then you're never going to get there. And so in some ways, none of us are ever ready for it, right? Mm -hmm. None of us are compatible. As long as we're followers of Jesus Christ, that's the most important thing. But beyond that, if we think there's a certain point when we're ready, we're never going to hit it because we're always going to struggle. We're still going to be two broken people trying to figure this thing out together. Mm-hmm. Have you ever met couples where you're like, like they're really not ready? I mean, <laughs> nobody's ready, as you said, but are there benchmarks or certain things that say, okay, you at least have this level of stability and maturity? Or is it like, nope, you know, just jump into it and you'll grow up together. Yeah. Well, I think that's the, that's the importance of marriage prep Yeah. and helping couples prepare for marriage and what it is really to evaluate, am I ready? Is my significant other ready? Are we ready as a couple? Uh, just to get to a point of saying, hey, I really want to know what, what it is that I'm committing to. Yeah. And so part of the problem for couples is they don't really understand the commitment of marriage. They don't understand till death do us part. They don't understand, you know, in, in sickness and in health and better or for worse, richer or poorer. They don't have a concept of that. And maybe they can say the words, but they really don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. And so what we get to do is we prepare couples is really to help them understand what commitment is. And, uh, you know, the commitment that, that we're kind of signing on for when we say I do is to love each other sacrificially and selflessly in the same way that God has sacrificially and selflessly loved us. And so that's one of the things I'm looking for is, is do you have a right understanding of what you're committing to in marriage? Another issue I see is, you know, if somebody's like actively engaged in sin. And so the one that, you know, you and I always hear is, Hey, I'm looking at porn now, but it's only because we're not having sex. Mm -hmm. And once we get married, then we'll have all the sex that, that I could really want. And I won't look at porn anymore. Mm. And so I always want to see like a level of sobriety there that they're willing to put their kind of die to themselves and not just continue to give in to their selfish desires through pornography, through masturbation. Mm-hmm. And so again, we're not looking for sinless perfection, but we want to know that a, a, that there's a level of self-control that is going to prepare them really well for marriage. Mm-hmm. I want to know what other people around them think. And so what does your Christian community say? What do you know your parents or your close friends, are they excited about this relationship? And uh, it's one of those red flags is when there are a lot of people raising their hand and saying, we're opposed to this wedding. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Why is that the case? And so we want to do whatever we can to find out, okay, what do those people around you say about your relationship? Mm-hmm. And so those, those are a few, but do you really understand marriage? Are you exhibiting self-control when it comes to not just sex and porn, but in really all areas of your life? Are you yielded to Christ? Uh, what does your community say? And then a real, you know, one other is like, is the fruit of the spirit coming out of you? Mm-hmm. And so if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, is there love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Like, are these things being exhibited in your life? Mm. Because you want to, if you want to do well in marriage, you're going to live those out. You want to be married to somebody who's going to live those out as well. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, That's good reflection. And you have many years of experience behind that. Scott, you are encouraging in your your book and in your ministry couples to have these hard conversations Mm -hmm. around things like sex and expectations and money and family and in-laws and all those sorts of things. I would say couples who have been married for decades sometimes don't know how to have those conversations, mm-hmm. but you're talking about people that don't know each other very well yet and don't really have a ton of trust built up. Yes. And these are hard conversations to have. So let's just even talk about sexuality. How does couple, whether you're young or not, like just even begin to venture into that conversation, maybe even pre-engagement to say, you know, are there red flags here and how do we share about that aspect of our lives? Well, these are really difficult conversations. And if I can, I'll share a little bit of my story and then Mm, to answer answer your question. And so I have a a really dark past sexually. Mm. I found pornography you know, when I was seven years old, uh, seven or eight, and then full on addicted by the time I hit puberty when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, and just a long history of porn, masturbation, really living out everything I saw. And there are some things that are just, I'm not proud of. I wasn't a follower of Christ, but there's some things that I've done that you know, they're not listed in my Instagram bio. They're mm-hmm. not, uh, they're not things that I'm proud of at all. And before I proposed to Kristen, I wanted her to know all of these things. I wanted her to know what she was getting. I wanted her to have the opportunity to ask questions. And so I was careful about details and, you know, I didn't give number of times and all the details of what we did and what we were wearing and where we were. I don't think that's helpful, but I did share details of, you know, kind of what, what I wanted her to know about my past so that there wouldn't be any surprises. And she did the same. Her, uh, her list wasn't nearly as long as mine, but she's broken too. And this fact, mm-hmm. I love when you talk about this, Julie, is that there's not like a category of broken and not broken. And if we're comparing our lists, quote unquote lists to each other, I'm a lot more broken than, than she is in the world's eyes, but we're both really broken. And so it, it, we sat down, it was such a, such a sweet conversation. Mm. And I got to ask her forgiveness for the things that I've done. And she got to ask questions. And, uh, and I knew I was, I was about to propose to her. And I knew that there was nothing that would be hidden from her, that she had full access to the things in my life that are dark and ugly that I'm not proud of. And I wanted her to know who she was going to marry. Mm. And so that, that's the way we approached it is, you know, before we made the commitment, before a ring was on her finger, 
I wanted her to know, and she wanted me to know about her past. Now, not every couple is going to handle that conversation that way. I know some people who have said, hey, the past is the past. You're forgiven by Jesus with of your sin. I don't need to know. I know who you are now, and that's all that matters to me. And I think that's great if that works for them as a couple. I think we have to examine the motives of why do we want to know about somebody's past. But the most important thing is that we really understand that we're forgiven by Christ. Mm. And his shed blood has covered all of the sin. And uh, whether I'm a virgin going into marriage or not, whether I've looked at porn or not, the most important thing that you need to know about me is that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, forgiven by the blood of Christ. Uh, and, And this is who you're getting as somebody who's broken, but who is grateful for who Jesus is. And Mm. so I think that's such an important conversation, but just under the umbrella that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Mm. you know, Romans eight, one. And then also the the flip side of all that is, is that there are consequences for sexual sin. I think of, you know, first Corinthians six, 18 of, you know, flee from sexual immorality, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And I think Paul categorizes sexual sin as a little bit different just because the consequences are so significant that there might be an STD, there might be an unwanted pregnancy, there might be images that are stuck in somebody's head, there might be comparison that for the rest of my life, I'm gonna compare my spouse to premarital sexual experiences. And so as much as I don't want that, those might be some of the consequences. Mm -hmm. And so that's what makes this conversation so difficult, but it's so important to have Mm -hmm. before marriage, before Mm -hmm. engagement even. And in your story, what you were sharing was um, things in the past, which is, as you mentioned, important. But some people are also continuing to struggle with things in the present. And man, I'm sure you encounter this in marriage ministry. There's so many couples where one person had no idea that the other was struggling with a sexual addiction, pornography, with same sense of attraction, with these sorts of things. And I can see why you wouldn't want to share that. Yeah. Like even as you're entering into marriage, why do we need to have that conversation and how do we have that conversation? Yeah, that's so good. I'm so glad you brought that up because there is a, uh, in the way I even shared my story, it was about all the stuff from years ago, a lot of it even pre-Jesus. But mm-hmm. But I also shared with Kristen that I struggled with lust, that, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, pornography was a not just distant part of my story, but was a a temptation. You know, it still is a temptation. Even mm-hmm. though I've been married for 22 years and marriage pastor for 18 years in ministry for over 20 years, it's still a temptation. And so mm-hmm. that's not just a one and done conversation that, hey, before I put a ring on, on your finger, I want you to know that lust is an issue. That's a constant conversation for us. Yeah. You know, as, as, as recent as a few days ago and not a confession of sin, but more of a confession of temptation. Mm-hmm. And there have been times even in marriage where, where I've looked at porn and mm-hmm. masturbated and, you know, and, and everything in me wanted to hide that from my wife. But I know that when I do, I'm breaking oneness with her. Mm-hmm. And we're not being emotionally intimate with each other. We're not, you know, I was walking around with shame and I wasn't naked without shame. Mm-hmm. And so there are conversations that we still have. It's, uh, I think what's so important about what you asked is this is not just a one and done conversation. It's yeah. an ongoing, in some ways, 
constant. Now that doesn't mean daily. It doesn't mean all the time, but it's a very live and present conversation for the healthy marriage that we continually talk about where we struggle and where we've fallen short. And, uh, and what I love about those conversations as hard as they are is we get to continually show what it's like to forgive each other and what it looks like to confess to one another. And, and I'm always so grateful that when I fall short and confess to Kristen, she forgives me and I get the opportunity to forgive her when she confesses to me. It's, it's this ongoing picture of the gospel in our marriage. Mm, boy, that's beautiful. And you and Kristen, it sounds like had a pretty high level of spiritual maturity to be able to have that conversation before you got married. There are some people that aren't there yet and they're scared to death to confess something like that. And they don't even know how to get the words out. Then they go to premarital counseling. And to be perfectly honest, the premarital counselor is just as scared to bring it up as the couple is. And so it never comes up. How, again, do you enter into that difficult conversation if no one knows how to start it? Yeah. Well, I would say we were not mature when we had that conversation. Oh, really? No, we were both relatively new believers. Mm -hmm. And so I've been walking with Christ for probably three or four years and some ups and downs in that. And so I wasn't this incredible picture of maturity mm-hmm. and she wasn't either. And so we stumbled through it. Honestly, the I think the reason we were able to have a good, healthy conversation is because we leaned on people who had gone before us. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I would just say to somebody I did trust is, hey, what do I do? Like, how do I have this conversation what does it look like? What if she says this? And so we kind of role played all of it. And so having really wise people around me helped mm-hmm. have that conversation. And so I would do whatever you can to find somebody to do that. So mm-hmm. if it's a counselor, if it's uh, you know some mature friends, if it's a pastor, mm-hmm. what's not okay is to say, well, there's no one I trust to help me. And so therefore we're just not going to talk about it Yeah, because I don't think silence on this helps. Mm-hmm. I think we need to fight hard and work hard to find somebody who's going to be able to help us navigate the waters of hard conversations. Mm-hmm. So a couple gets engaged, they plan their wedding, which takes a lot of time and energy. Time and money and energy. If you yeah. were to say, here is my perfectly recommended plan of what you need to do between the engagement and the wedding, not just planning the wedding, but preparing for marriage, what would it include? Yeah, great question. Uh, I would say there has to be some level of, the way I like to think about relationships is when a couple is dating or seriously dating, which isn't really a real phrase, but when I say somebody's seriously dating, it means they're thinking about putting a ring on the finger. Mm -hmm. When you're dating and, and seriously dating, you're in a period of evaluation. Mm-hmm. And that's not a, a period that you want to stay in forever. Dating is miserable, I think. Yeah. It's so difficult. The sexual tension and the, you know, trying to figure each other out. I would use that period of time to really evaluate. And then once you put a ring on the finger and you're getting ready to get married, you're still evaluating, but at this point now you're really preparing for marriage. And so what that looks like, you know, I think reading a book like like Ready or Not. Mm-hmm. Reading a book like The Meaning of Marriage, reading something that's going to help you understand what marriage is. And then I would do whatever you can to find somebody to walk alongside of you. 
And so if you are reading that book alone, you're, you know, it's easy to get deluded. You're so in love. You're so excited that you're not taking an honest look. And so what does it look like to you to have wise people around you? And so it's community for either of you. It's, you know, a pastor, a counselor, a a mentor couple. We met with a a woman in our church who sat down with us and helped prepare us for marriage. She, we took an inventory she shared a lot of hard things with us, and I'm so grateful. Mm-hmm. And so finding somebody who is going to help you prepare really well. And so good books, good mentors, good community, and then really you know, using the season. Uh, I would say it's a, a, what I don't – it just terrifies me with couples is when they make the statement of – we're going to get married anyway, so it's okay for us to have sex. Mm-hmm. Or we're not having sex, it's just oral sex, or we're just dry humping, whatever you know, whatever it is that they're doing. And I would just challenge any of those couples to really fight for purity and you know, even integrity in every mm-hmm. way, that we want to be completely whole, that we want to uh, honor the Lord with our bodies mm-hmm. and show some self-control. And so I would get some good accountability uh, to help you with, some good boundaries in your relationship. And then, uh, and then it's also, it's never too late. And so even if you're engaged and you're planning on getting married, if you are wanting to pursue the Lord and not cross boundaries, but you're being pushed by your significant other, it's okay to call off the wedding. It's okay to push the wedding back. Don't assume that just because there's a ring on the finger, you have to get married you're still in this period of, of, even though you're preparing more, you're still evaluating. Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing season to continue to show self-control because guess what? You're going to need self-control for the rest of your life. That doesn't go away just because you get married. Yeah, most people don't know that. <laughs> I know. And I used to be, I, I mean, I was, uh, I would always speak about, you know, I'd use the purity word and say, it's like we want to be pure before marriage. And like like I look back at some of the things I used to say and you know, I've had to repent and go, that just doesn't go away just because there's a ring on the finger and we're married. Mm-hmm. We are called, you know, to pursue Jesus in, in every year of our life for the rest of our lives. And it doesn't mm-hmm. stop just because we say I do. Yeah, boy, yeah. that's so true. Well, like I said, this is our 500th episode. It's crazy to believe I've had that many Job with Julie conversations. Now, while we have 500 episodes, you can only find a couple weeks worth on the website or in your podcast app. And this is because our full Job with Julie archive is only available to Authentic Intimacy members. This means that members get unlimited access to the full Java with Julie archive and can listen to everything from the very first episode to our most recent one, whenever they want. So seeing this is our anniversary episode, we want to celebrate by giving away a free one-year membership to the first five listeners of this episode. If you're one of our first five listeners, click the link in the show notes and enter the code JAVA500. That's J-A-V-A and the number 500. And if you're not listening to this right early in the morning, don't worry, because for the next week, we want everybody to celebrate with a discounted one-year membership. You could just enter in the promo code JJ10, that's JJ10, in the promo code when you sign up for a one-year Authentic Intimacy membership. All right, hey, thanks for celebrating with us. Let's get back to my conversation with Scott.
I was talking to a marriage pastor a couple months ago who does a lot of premarital counseling, and he was saying that it's gotten to the point where almost every couple is cohabiting. That is just, even within the church, Christian couples don't see anything wrong with living together. And there are even couples who would say, we're not having sex, but we're living together. Talk about that and why that's become so common and uh, why it's wrong. Or is it wrong from your perspective? Yeah, it's a great question. It's so prevalent now. And it used to be when I first started out, uh, a couple... A couple's parents would say to them, we're not going to pay for the wedding if you're living together. Now we see couples where mom and dad say, I'm not going to pay for the wedding unless you do live together before marriage. I mean, you got to test it out, make sure it works and make sure everything fits and make sure you're compatible and all that stuff. And and it's so damaging because I think this cohabitation really creates a conditional relationship where we're not really committed to each other, but we get all the benefits from it. And as soon as you frustrate me, we can end this thing. And so it becomes this conditional relationship. But Scott Stanley says that we don't decide to get married, we slide into marriage. And so because we have an apartment together, we have a dog together, and our you know name is on the lease together, we're not really going to choose to get married. We're just going to choose to continue to kind of slide into it because it's really inconvenient to split up and to mm-hmm. mess up, you know, and like who gets the dog and who yeah. gets the car. And, and so the, the dangers of it, you know, the, the Bible doesn't specifically say thou shalt not live together before marriage. And I think that's because it was so clear that wasn't God's design. The Bible doesn't even need to say it. Mm-hmm. And so what we do see is that Genesis two twenty four: a man leaves his father and mother becomes united to his wife and then they become one. We see Ephesians 5, 3, that there should not be a hint of sexual immorality among you. We see 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it is God's will that you would be sanctified or set apart sexually. We see Hebrews 13, 4, the marriage bed is to be pure and undefiled. Think of John 4, Jesus with the woman at the well, and he says, you know, you've been married five times prior, five Mm -hmm. or six, five times prior. And then he says, you know, the man you're living with now is not your husband. And it's not like he high fives a woman and says, way to go. It's very clear that this is not the best decision in their relationship. And so I understand why people live together. It seems in, in worldly wisdom, the cultural narrative would say that's the smart thing to do. Even family, friends will tell you to do it. Everyone seems to be doing it. And I always want to challenge couples, just be different than the pattern of the world. And even though it might seem like that's the wise thing to do, what would God have me do? Mm-hmm. What's the best way to really prepare for marriage? And uh, and I think we see the results on the other side of it are not good. Mm-hmm. You know, the satisfaction is lower, divorce rates are higher, abuse for children in the future goes up, the sexual satisfaction goes down, everything that we want to go up goes down and everything that goes down we want to go up. Mm -hmm. And so when couples live together before marriage, they're not setting themselves up for success. Mm -hmm. So when you have a couple that is living together and they just got engaged, do you counsel them to split up before the wedding? Do you counsel them to get married sooner? Kind of how does that play out? Yeah, so I'd say it depends on... uh, Probably a bigger question first is where are you spiritually? Mm. And so really three scenarios I can think of. One is the non-believing couple who 
doesn't know, doesn't care. And so my bigger issue there is not, and I'm probably not going to marry that couple, but I'm still going to counsel them if they want to be counseled. And so the bigger need is not to get them to move out, but I want them to, to know who Jesus is and I want them to know the love of God. And so one is sharing the gospel with them before we even talk about cohabitation. Second scenario is the believer, two believers who just are ignorant about it. And so it's, it's really an education issue that nobody has ever told them. And so that's when we're going to open up the word together and we're going to talk about the scenario that they're in. And I'm going to challenge them to obey what God's word says and to move out. And uh, now the third couple is the one who knows, and they're just going to do what they want. Mm -hmm. They know what God's word says. They don't care. And so then that really becomes in some ways a discipline issue. It's an education issue. We're going to open up the Bible, look at it. What I always do with a couple who's living together before marriage is, is I ask why they're living together. And so if it's a financial issue, I offer to sit down with them and say, let's look at your budget. Let's figure out where you are financially. I say, hey, I've got in my house, we've got four bedrooms and my wife and I have one. My two younger sons have another room. Our twins who are in college have a room and they're never there. And then we have a guest room. And so I'll say, hey, I've got a room in my house that you can live in. And mm -hmm. if you don't want to live with me, I've got five other people who would open up their homes. And so we're trying to do everything we can to take away the excuse and to give them the opportunity to not live together before marriage. Mm -hmm. I've worked with couples who have taken me up on that and, and it's awesome. And yeah. I love to see when they come together, you know, just even the, excitement of, you know, they don't live together anymore. And so he can go to her apartment and pick her up and take her out on a date. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, it's like, this is the way it's intended to be. Mm -hmm. And so some couples do that. There are others that say, Hey, I don't care what the Bible says. We're just going to do what, what we want to do. And, you know, mm -hmm. and so they make all kinds of excuses. And so I can pray for them. I could love them. I'm not going to do their wedding. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I just don't feel free to do the wedding for a couple who lives together. Mm -hmm. but I want to do all I can to encourage them and challenge them and then provide every opportunity to move out with one another and just to plead with them for what God's best is. Yeah. Well, that's really good. There are engagements that end. I think it's probably more mm -hmm. common than we know. Mm -hmm. What is that like for individuals going through it? And why is it sometimes important to have the courage to end an engagement? Man, that's so hard, right? I, th I think uh, I remember hearing this right when I started doing marriage ministry is that in some ways it's easier to end a marriage than to end, end an engagement. Mm. And I thought that's the most tragic thing. And I think that's partly because, again, that we just tell people, you know, we want you to be married, to be happy. And so if you're not happy, you can get a divorce, which is just worldly counsel and advice. With couples who are engaged, there's so much pressure to get married once you put a ring on the finger, once grandma has her ticket to fly to the wedding, yeah. once all the decisions are made. If somebody is courageous enough, for, if they're going to end an engagement for the right reason, if it's because they're afraid of commitment and they're just scared, we want to do everything we can just to, you know, to address that underlying issue. But if they end it for a good reason, that takes so much courage. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what would it look like to support them really well, uh, to to help them, you know, in times when they're going to be lonely and frustrated and wondering if they made the right decision. And so that's just, it's just a beautiful example of when it says in Genesis that it's not good for us to be alone. 
that's where we really need the support of God's people or Galatians six, when we bear each other's burdens. And so a broken engagement is an opportunity for the church to be the church to mm. love and encourage and support in a really tough season. Yeah. What are the, the right reasons to end an engagement? Yeah. I mean, there's probably a, a, it could be as simple as an inability to communicate and resolve conflict which is not simple. That's a big deal, but there's no gross sin there. Mm -hmm. But if you're signing up for poor communication for the rest of your life, I don't think we want that. And so it could be something like inability to communicate, manage conflict. It could be a continual breaking of boundaries sexually. And so a lack of self-control, it, it, certainly if um, somebody is unfaithful, you know, if, if you're engaged and one individual is, even though, you know, it's uh, messing around with somebody else physically, any kind of abuse. Mm -hmm. And so that's a like, hey, hit the eject button right now. If that's happening before you get married, it's almost certainly going to happen after you get married. Any kind of addiction that's unaddressed. And so, you know, if it's drugs or continued drunkenness, mm -hmm. I don't think you want to get married to somebody who shows that pattern. Something like pornography, I, th I think it depends on how they respond. Mm -hmm. And so if it's somebody who, when they look at porn, they repent quickly, they ask for forgiveness, they confess, they're, you know, they're, uh, they're doing something about it, and they're open with their significant other, that might not be a reason to end it. But if they look at porn and they're like, it's not that big of a deal, I can do what I want to do, we're not married yet, and they're just prideful and defensive about it, that could be a good reason to end an engagement. Another would be if close friends and family oppose it. Mm -hmm. And so if they love, you know, if you got family and friends around you who love Jesus and they oppose a relationship, I would really be humble enough to listen to their counsel. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What would you add? Yeah, that's no, I think, list, the, so. I think that's a great list. Uh, you know, I'm wondering you know, about other situations, like you talk about a family opposing the match, but there are situations where it's like you get into wedding planning and the families hate each other, uh, you know, no. the mothers hate each other or, you know, like some, I think especially when it's a chorus of people saying we have concerns versus maybe somebody very powerful, influential right. in the family, not wanting to let go of a child or things like that and there's really family conflict, yeah. I, you know, that would be one of those things where I'm like, well, do you still get married? Or is it just like, no, we've got to be aware that this is going to probably be an ongoing battle in our yeah. marriage, but it's worth fighting for. Yeah. I, I think of either. one, I can think of one couple, sweet, sweet couple, uh, African-American guy, Indian woman. And when they went to tell her family, that they were dating and about to get engaged, the woman's family freaked out mm -hmm. and literally tore her clothes off of her as she tried to leave the Gee. house. Wow. And the only reason they were not in favor of the wedding was because she was going to marry a black guy. Wow. And everyone else around them was in support of their relationship. Mm -hmm. Great community around him, great community around her. His family was in full support. And it was a cultural and religious issue that blocked the relationship. Mm -hmm. And then the cool thing about that couple is, is that they're married with multiple kids now. And my friends, that the guy has loved his wife so well that they actually now have restored relationship with her family. Wow. That they've seen that even though the color of his skin 
was not something that they were in favor of. They saw how well he treated their daughter. And it's just a beautiful picture mm-hmm. of, you know, of what it looks like to sacrificially and selflessly love. I always tell guys, like, if you want to win her parents over, you just love her really, really well. Yeah. You treat her like the valuable child of the king that she is. And mm-hmm. uh, it's hard for a parent if they see the way they're, I don't have any girls, but mm-hmm. I think, I would think, you know, if, and you don't either. So we're, we're yeah. kind of, <laughs> we might be wrong on this, but I yeah. think if you have a daughter and you see a guy treat her so well and love her and cherish her, that speaks volumes. Yeah. And so well, I can, well. I can just say from the daughter's perspective, like Mike, my husband, like has won over my parents over the years and the way he treats me. So I see it even from that. Like there's nothing he could do more for them than to love me well. So I think Well, that's... you guys are beautiful to watch. Oh. And he does love you love each other. You honor each other really well. And so I'm not surprised he he won your family over. Yeah, why they love him. Yeah. Well, look, he's so handsome too. He is so, so you can't, handsome. You can't he's sitting right here. That. So <laughs> yeah. Mike isn't well, usually <laughs> yeah, we would. Mike isn't usually here for our podcast recordings, but he's here for this one. So that that's kind of cool. Uh, Scott, how important do you think attraction is and like having this feeling like I just knew she was the one and or is it just more like you're looking for somebody who loves the Lord and who you enjoy being with, but it's not necessarily the fireworks are going off. Like there's a lot of debate about that. That's such a debated question. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'll give you a few thoughts. Um, we do know beauty is fleeting. Charm is mm-hmm. deceptive. And so there's certainly something to that. We all know we're getting older every mm-hmm. single second. Yeah. We can't stop that man and woman. We're both getting older which means at some point we're going to continue to get less attractive over time. Marriage is a long-term deal. It's not just a short term. And so we're all going to become less attractive over the years. And so you don't want to get married just for attraction because that's going to go away. That being said, attraction is so important that Mm -hmm. if we're going to be physically intimate with somebody, if we're going to be excited about seeing them, we want to be attracted to them. Now, I do think attraction changes. Like the definition of the traditional attraction, uh, Kristen, she she said this. I'm not. I'll, I'll speak for her. She was definitely not initially attracted to me. Mm-hmm. I don't. And this is not self-deprecating, but <laughs> I don't think she ever said in her list, "I wanted to marry someone who was five foot nine and three quarters shorter than she is." She's five foot eleven and a half. She didn't dream of somebody who was overweight, uh, who was bald and stocky. That was never on her list of what she was looking for in a guy. But, and I won her over because I treated her so well. And, and really my, my love for Jesus became so attractive that what I look like became secondary. And so, Mm -hmm. yes, she's attracted to me, but not in the traditional way that she would have thought. She dated a guy before she dated me who was Six foot three and really good looking guy, great hair, in shape, all that. Like that's probably who she would have mm. chosen to go with if attraction wasn't the only thing. Mm-hmm. But she saw the the other things about me that are really much more important mm-hmm. and eventually became attracted mm-hmm. to me. And she would still say she's 
really attracted to me in every way. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's important. Uh-huh. And I, but I also would say you may not be attracted in the ways the world would tell you to be attracted or uh, maybe you would have thought you would be when you were less mature. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, that's a, a great answer to that question. Spiritual intimacy. Yes. Like there's, there's even like debate of should couples pray together when they're dating? Is that too intimate? As they get engaged, how do they start sharing their walk with the Lord? And even like sexual intimacy, most people don't have language for that. Yeah. And they don't see it modeled. So how do they even begin to do that? Yeah, such a good question. I'd say we, here's what I'd say that's problematic is that, you know, our faith is the most important thing about us. You know, my testimony of, of God loving me in spite of my sin, sending his son Jesus, dying on the cross for my sins, my belief in what he did for the forgiveness of my sins, that is the most important thing about me. The fact that the Spirit indwells me, that my life is led by the Spirit and and guided by everything God's Word says. So that belief informs everything I do in my life. Not always, mm-hmm. not perfectly, but it, it informs how I work and how we spend our money and how we parent our kids and you know how we steward the resources he's entrusted to us. Uh, it affects every part of our lives. And the thing that concerns me with couples is that they spend a lot of time together, they're attracted to each other, they have fun with each other, but they never have the most important conversations. And so I'm encouraging couples, like when you start dating each other, the first thing you ought to talk about is your faith. And so that doesn't mean you, you know, do a 30 minute life map and share every bit of, you know, your, your walk with Jesus for your entire life. But there should be a story of here's how God changed my life. Here's how the gospel has changed my life. Here's what God is teaching me. And that should be the, among the first things that we talk about when we get to know somebody because so often it becomes the last thing instead of being the first thing that that we talk about. So that being said, you know, the sharing our testimonies, I, I do think it's really healthy for couples to continually share what God is teaching them. Mm-hmm. I do think it's okay for couples to pray together before they get married. I didn't used to say that because I've heard it said before prayer is so intimate mm-hmm. that we want to guard our heart, that we want to... You know, we don't want to wake in love before it so desires. And so uh, hearing that, I think so many couples avoid any spiritual talk whatsoever because they're afraid of not guarding their heart. Uh, I think you've got to be careful about when you pray, how you pray. You don't pray for each other to manipulate each other. You don't pray in your apartment with the lights off, curled up on the couch <laughs> together with, you know, candles in the background and romantic music. That's not going to set you up well. But I do think couples should be and need to be able to share what God is teaching them and then be able to pray with and for each other. And, and here's why that's changed in my view over the years is because I see couples ignore that their whole dating and engagement period, and then they get married and it's a spiritual stranger. Mm. They realize they wake up one morning and go, man, we never talked about our faith before marriage. I never asked how to pray. I never, We never talked about what God was teaching us because we were told to guard our heart. And then you wake up and you realize you're married to somebody who really doesn't love Jesus. And now you are with them till death do you part. And so it's partly why. And, and the other thing I would say, just, just being honest, is we have not done that well in our marriage. 
that we um, we've always talked about the importance of praying together in marriage, but we didn't really live that out well. We would go in fits and starts, and there'd be periods where we would pray. We'd pray for our food, we'd pray for our kids, but we did not really seek the Lord together. And a, a couple of years ago, I got really convicted. I got tired of telling people to do something that I wasn't doing, and we started praying together daily, and it has changed our marriage. Mm. And we went from a really good marriage to a great marriage. Mm. And now more than ever, I know what's going on in Kristen's heart. I know what burdens her. She knows what burdens me. We are seeking the Lord together. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote, uh, you know, my new book came out in the fall of 2023. Uh, It's called The Ready or Not Prayer Guide. And it's 100 Prayers for Dating and Engaged Couples. And I wrote that book because I want couples to begin praying together for their relationship before they even say I do that they would begin that habit of praying together and starting to know what to pray and how to pray. And the book isn't a hundred prayers about marriage. It's really a hundred prayers to help us become more like Jesus. Mm. And so what if from the beginning of our relationship, if we prayed that, that we would be humble and resilient and we'd be good listeners and we were fun and we were community-centered and we were selfless and sacrificial and all these Christ-like attributes, if we prayed that for a relationship, that I would be that way, that my wife would be that way, that our marriage would be marked by those things, I mean, what what can God do? There's no limit to what he's going to do in a marriage that prays and hungers to be like Jesus. And so wrote the book. It's been uh, oh, the other thing I'd say on that last thought is that they say the the divorce rate for couples who pray together consistently out loud is less than one percent. Mm, wow. And so I mean, I've seen it as a, a Gallup study from I think it, it's you know it's old now. It's probably twenty years old, but said one out of one thousand one hundred fifty two couples who pray together got divorced. And so I don't I don't think that's consistent now. I don't think it's that same number, but if the divorce rate goes down because we pray together, and I don't know if it's something that God does in the couple who prays or it's a type of couple who prays together, if there's something to that, then I want couples to do whatever they can to build that foundation of praying together, seeking the Lord together in their relationship. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that prayer guide could even be used for married couples. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, some of the language is for engaged, but 99% of it would be, in fact, I'm going to, doing a 100-day challenge soon where we're going to pray together. And people can read the book or not. I don't care. But for 100 days, I'm going to challenge people to pursue Jesus together in their marriage. And it's not just for dating and engaged. That should be for every one of us that we would continually seek the Lord together. I don't know if anyone has ever felt completely ready for marriage. As Scott has shared, there are some things we can do to be more prepared for the journey. Whether you're single or married, God wants us to be in a posture of always learning, always depending on Him. And so when you hit those unexpected challenges, it may not be because you weren't ready or you didn't marry the right person. Consider an opportunity to become more dependent on God's wisdom, power, and love. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Scott, we've linked to his website and both of his books in the show notes. As he said, his new book on prayer is great, even if you're already married. So go ahead and check it out. Well, friend, that's all I have for you today. And if this episode blessed you, would you take a minute to rate this podcast and leave a review? Reviews really do help other people find our ministry. And we want more people to know about God's love for them and his design for their sexuality. 
Hey, thanks again for joining me, and I look forward to being with you next time on Java with Julie.